Welcome, everybody, to this edition of The Mary Trump Show. I am honored to be joined tonight by the great Charlie Pierce, lead political blogger at Esquire, author of the very prescient book, as it turns out, Idiot America, uh, among many other things. Um, Welcome, Charlie, and thank you so much for being here tonight. It's good to be here, Mary. How are you? Well, you know, um, it's... It's been a rough week. Um, Yeah, no kidding. We found out uh, yesterday that the irreplaceable uh, Eric Bollert died on Monday night. Um, And you you wrote a really beautiful piece uh, for Esquire called... Eric Bullard's spirit was decades younger and his wisdom decades older. I'd like to read a paragraph if you don't mind. Read my stuff back to me? Absolutely. I'm there for that. Eric was gloriously unimpressed by reputations. He was the implacable foe of journalistic laziness in all its forms, especially as expressed through access journalism and the repertorial arch heresy of both siderism. Take him all in all, he was something of a proud throwback to what the craft of journalism ought to be. Every word of that rings absolutely true. And you also call him one of the only media critics who mattered, with which I completely concur. So in addition to talking about Eric, who was a a wonderful, lovely man, um, in addition to being a phenomenal uh, journalist of impeccable integrity, I also want to talk about why his work was so necessary and of course continues to be, although I honestly can't think of who's going to fill the void. Um, His absolute willingness to go right at his targets, pulling no punches um, and, and about the state of journalism in general. Um, Again, one of the reasons I want to talk to you, of course, is because Eric was your friend, but because you're you're in that same vein of journalists, so, you know your focus is different. But yeah, I, I you know I'm flattered that you put me in the same in the same in the same rank with Eric. Uh, I, yeah, I mean I, I'm a refugee from the mainstream media. I worked in oh, well, I guess I still am. I mean Esquire is not exactly an underground publication, uh, although I started in the alternative media. Right. Uh, at the Boston Phoenix in the 1970s. And I 80s. remember it well. I used to read it every week. Yep. You used to get it for free. That's right. Uh, anyway, uh, so I think what he did that was quite remarkable was that he was relentless. But I don't think Eric was ever mean. I can't remember him writing. I mean, that can be, it cannot be said about me, but I don't think Eric ever wrote a mean sentence in his life. He just he just read very well and you know you know read with a real jeweler's eye for nonsense and 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 never got all, and once he got his teeth into something he never let go. Yeah, and and that is unfortunately increasingly I don't want to say rare exactly, but infrequent, shall we say. Yeah. Um and I think my first um introduction to him was when he was doing MSNBC hits on uh, AM Joy, Joy Reid's morning show mm. on MSNBC. And 
then, you know, he branched out. He became, uh, I don't know which happened first, but uh, he became a regular on the Stephanie Miller show where you also are uh, along with your buddy, Jody Hamilton. Who's oh yeah. Awesome. Oh, America's fun couple. <laughs> That's yeah, right. I, think, I think outside of, outside of Bob, Bob Seska, I think Eric has been on Stephanie's show longer than anybody else. Mm-hmm. So I think he was doing Stephanie before he was doing AM Joy. Oh, wow. Okay. That's incredible. Um, because that was a while ago. It's, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember exactly how long, but uh, mm-hmm. years for sure. Um, and then he made the very interesting choice to start a press run, which is a newsletter on Substack. And you know, when you only know somebody from media appearances, uh, you you feel like you know them, even though, of course, you don't. Um, and you also understand that for a lot of people, how they are on TV isn't necessarily how they are in real life. Um, and then he started Press Run, and that gave us a new uh, insight into him. He showed a different side of himself. Like you, I did not know <laughs> that he was a music critic way back. And, and, and a, uh, you know, a... a, a uh... A very good one. I mean, the guy won awards for his for his music criticism. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I didn't know that. I just certainly didn't know he worked for Billboard. I had no idea. And, no. and there were there are two things. Well, three things really. The first thing about his newsletter is that every single one he started with "Stay healthy, be kind." Right. Um, and he was a genuinely kind person. And then he also had uh, a good things segment which I'm very proud to say I showed up in once. It was ah. like the highlight of my year. I had written an article for the New Republican. Eric referenced it in, in the good stuff section. But at the very end, he had he shared a track of music that right. was new to him or he was revisiting. And um, like one of the very first times I, I spoke with him, it was about that. I'm like, you realize like half of my current playlist is music I got off of your blog. I know he's, uh, I mean, he, he, he was, he's, his tastes were wide and varied and, and generally very, very good. Yes. Uh, you know, he certainly turned me on to artists I'd never heard of. Yeah, me too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he had a great catholicity of interests, um, uh, and you know, and as you said, I mean, basically, he was one of the nicest people who ever lived. I mean, he just was. And judging by the reaction that various papers have gotten from his neighbors, apparently he was like the squire of Montclair. Oh, really? And, oh, yeah. Everybody knew him. He played softball and basketball in the town leagues. He was a you know God you know God help us a familiar figure on his bike. And on his you know, and running, uh, and uh, you know he 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 was living this wonderful suburban life while still sitting in his office and <clears throat> excuse me administering the proper correctives once a day. Yeah, for what's going on? His last piece was about why the the, the media, the, why a, a lot of the elite political media seems to be wanting Joe Biden to fail. And as yeah. far as I know, he's the only one writing that. Which, I is, think which is plainly obvious, by the way. Yes, it, it is. And one of one of the great things, in addition to the fact that he never um, hit below the belt, you know, he was a straight shooter. And um, 
that gave his arguments more, even more force, I think. Um, In addition to that, though, his work was painstaking. And we don't, one of the reasons we're in the situation we're in is because so many, and I'm not going to lay it all at the feet of reporters and journalists. They're editors they answer to. There are editors who let um, lazy reporting go through without any checks. And there there are readers who do not read well and do not think. I mean, I mean, let's not let the readers let not not, let the consumers off the hook either. Absolutely not. In in fact, uh, recently, I think it was Ellie Mistel talking about Joe Rogan. He's like, you know, Joe Rogan didn't create these millions of people who listen to him. They went looking for Joe Rogan. Yep. So and he's right. Yeah. And and I think that that is true. And when I think one of the issues, though, uh, is that a lot of people don't understand that uh, r- reporters, journalists don't write their own headlines. Oh, man. I don't I, understand. By I, the way. I spent seven. I spent uh, 1983. Almost 20 years as a sports writer. You haven't lived until you've stood in front of an outraged outfielder in a clubhouse explaining to him that you don't write your own headlines. Nobody believes that. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, nobody out there doesn't, nobody who is written about believes that you don't write your own headlines. It was one of the, it was one of the worst experience. The worst parts of being a daily sports writer was having to explain that over and over again. But it is true. Yeah, I, because I some, some smartass on the desk has decided that, that to make a funny joke and, you know, you got to pay for it the next day. But it's also, um, it is a craft. Yes. So to speak. I mean, there there is a, a craft to it. Um, but not to be too cynical, it also seems like it's it's gone from drawing people into the heart of the story to drawing people into something that the story's not really about for the sake of clicks. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think uh, the arrival of the internet has been both a blessing and a curse. I mean, it's a blessing for me because it's how I make my living now. Right. But uh, it's also, it's done, obviously the internet has done incredible damage to newspapers uh, yeah. just because of the, you know, the, the complete evaporation of classified ads, just to name one factor, uh, the sudden interest by hedge funds and, you know, fiscal pirates uh, in local newspapers because they can turn a, br- you, they, can, they can strip them bare and turn a, and sell off the, you know, the parts for a good profit has done nobody any good. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, the, basically the consolidation has been terrible. Uh, it's just been awful for everything, including, especially the consumers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're so siloed and that's, I think that's deliberate strategy, um, on the part of media corporations, mm-hmm. but it's also, as you said, part of the problem of the consumer, uh, yeah. You just don't want to be challenged. You don't want to face. Um, I think part of it is people don't like being wrong, or people don't like having their strongly held views challenged. But when there's no um, agreement 
about what facts are. Um, and when there's one reality, like it drives me crazy when people say there are two realities. There are not. There's one reality. Most of us choose to live in it, but a lot of us choose not to. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I've always, I've always said, you know, if I speak to classes, that the worst thing you can believe as a journalist in any field, but especially in political journalism, is the is is the the axiom that perception is reality. Yep. No, perception is perception. Right. And if you if the perception doesn't match the reality, it's your job as a journalist to hammer the reality until the perception conforms to it, not to to declare the perception reality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the I want to have a beer with the guy or, you know, your uncle being a brilliant businessman or, you know, name any one of a half a dozen uh, other examples. Mm -hmm. uh, no, you're not. You, your job, your job is to be the anchor in reality. Your job is to is the one that keeps the balloon from floating out the window and off into space, basically. And if yeah. that makes you unpopular, that's the way it goes. Nobody gets it. Nobody. It used to be a point of pride that nobody. You know, there were a couple of things. Number one, nobody went into this business to get rich. And number two, nobody went into this business to be popular. Right. Uh, that those were secondary considerations. And, you know, the, the whole clickbait, the whole clickbait thing that you mentioned before is an attempt to become popular, to make a goal out of being popular. And that I think that's destructive as hell. I really do. Yeah, because, again, it contributes to. um Pretending that perception is reality, uh, mm -hmm. it caters to people pre pre people's preconceived notions and prejudices. Uh, and then, of course, there's the idea that um, facts are uh, can be something you believe in it or right. You know? I mean, I, in in the book you were kind enough to mention, I said there there were three basic premises of Idiot America, and the three and the third one was. Uh, you know, facts are measured by how many people believe it, and their truth is measured by how fervently those people believe in it. Uh, yeah. And that's not true. No. But and it's no way. It's no way for a democracy to run, and it's no way for media to run. Right. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I have got. This is really embarrassing. I have got to go to my kitchen and turn off my dinner. <laughs> lest it burn. I sort of mistimed it. So hang in there. I'll be back. I'm sorry. This is live television, people. I don't want your house to burn down. So please. All right, hang on. While Charlie is going to make sure his house doesn't burn down, uh, we're going to take a quick break. It's 2022, and it's time to take action. So make sure you bring your life and learning to the next level and make 2022 your best year yet. Nothing is better for that than Blinkist. Blinkist is a powerful self-improvement tool that takes top nonfiction books and pulls out key takeaways in text and audio explainers called Blinks. These can be easily digested in just 15 minutes at a time. And it's time for you to try it. You may not know this about me, but first of all, I am not a huge fan of nonfiction. I mean, I do read it, but you know, it's not my favorite thing in the world. And also, I am a world-class procrastinator. Uh, so Blinkist helps me with both of those things. It helps me get the information I need in record time, and it helps me 
get ideas and take projects to the next level. They carry titles like A Promised Land by Barack Obama, The Black Church by Henry Louis Gates Jr., and What Happened by Hillary Clinton. With Blinkist, you can finish an entire bookshelf on your upcoming summer vacation. With the midterms coming closer by the day, there's no better insight into what the Republicans will try to pull and how to defeat them than Hillary's What Happened. It lays out what we're up against, what we need to do to make sure the Democrats hold the majority in 2023 and beyond. Plus, it's Hillary Clinton. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for my listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash marry to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist. It's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash marry to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Again, that's Blinkist.com slash marry or look for the link in our show notes. Now let's head back and make sure that the great Charlie Pierce has not burned his house down. Ah, now we've settled back in and we can resume our intellectual discussion of whatever hell we were talking about. I started smelling smoke and I thought, this is not, this is, this is going to, you talk about clickbait. Hey, look, Mary's guest burned his house down. Uh, anyway, On so the there show we are. Live. Well, la- yeah. I'm thankful that didn't happen. Um, Me too. You've had enough accidents. I know that you oh, were terrible. God. Car. You were hit by a car. I, I tore my patella tendon, and then I had my gallbladder removed, and then I got hit by a car. And most recently, I tore my quadriceps tendon in the other leg. So that's my my six years of, of living hell. I don't think you uh, should get out of that chair. I, I should I never leave this chair. Absolutely. I've not been injured in this chair yet. But... Uh, Anyway, um, yeah, we were talking about perception, reality, uh, belief, facts, and, and it's really quite simple. I, I don't think climate change gives a shit if you believe in it or not. Um, That's or COVID yeah, I mean, for that the oceans don't care. The oceans don't care who wins the debate right. over climate change. You're still going to be fleeing the Florida Keys. That's right. Uh, you know, right. there are still countries in the South Pacific disappearing. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they, you know, it, it's this isn't this is I mean. I hate to say it's not a political issue because it clearly is. Yeah. But the end result is not uh, the end result is not going to be subject to debate. It, it It's going to happen. The Colorado River is really drying up. So is the Rio Grande. Uh, and if, you know, if, if the Colorado if, if if the Colorado River dries up, then you've got the Gobi Desert from Nebraska to California. Right. Because people aren't supposed to live there. Right. And the only reason they live there is because of the, you know, water that we, you know, that, that we stole. I mean, yeah. you're, you, you're coming to the point now where you're going to have wars over water. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, um, that is the next, uh, that is going got, to the next global You've got crisis. people buying it up now. You've got, you know, yeah. you've got, you've got major corporations buying, you know, buying up water supplies. Uh, as you have a lovely sip of your own there. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have a, Lifetime don't, don't, well, drink actually, don't drink it too fast. Don't drink it too fast because we're running out. Drinking it very slowly, but I live in New York, so I drink from the tap. Yeah. So, so, so far, oh, there so you good. go. Um, but the thing, the thing is, Charlie, the, these aren't the only reason these issues are political is because they're made political. Um, there's nothing political about whether or not the Rio Grande is drying up, um, except insofar. And it is entirely the Republican Party uh, brings things like climate change 
into its fold of culture wars, which is completely crazy making. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not, I mean, the same dynamic worked with COVID measures. You know, I grew up, I mean, I remember how happy I was or how happy my mother had had the uh, pneumonic, not pneumonic, uh, pneumonic. Pneumatic, pneumatic, no, oh. pneumatic uh, form of polio. She was in oh. an iron lung for a year oh my back God. in the, during the epidemic days. Uh, and I remember how happy she was when, I mean, I remember the salt vaccine. Yep. No, I remember what a, what a, you know, absolute breakthrough it was. And then I remember the Sabin vaccine, which every school kid loved because it meant you didn't have to take shots anymore. You ate the sugar cube. Yep. Uh, and everybody, you know, that was a proud, you know, Joe DeSalk didn't even patent it. He gave it to the world. Right. The United States helped eradicate smallpox. Smallpox is gone. Right. We were proud of that. Now we're going to, you know, we're going to fight over, you know, whether to, you know, you know, whether you, you know, whether you should vaccinate, you know, you know, vaccinate yourself against, uh, you know, a, a pandemic that's killed, you know, going on a million people. What's wrong with us? I mean, you can't, you can't make it. I mean, you can't make everything an argument. Okay. You can't make, everything is not subject to our, if we're going to have a childish political culture, which we have, you can't keep putting important stuff in there. Right. Because bad things will happen. You know, you yeah. gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have a general agreement that, and I don't know how we get back to this, by the way, that science is, is by and large good. And that when scientists tell us something's going to happen or something is on the way to happen or that something might happen or that or that they can cure a disease, we should probably believe them and not believe, you know, our state senator who's, you know, eating horse paste on, you know, her Ritz crackers in her in her trailer home. I mean, that is not something we should do. No, but it's not simply that one party decided to go down that road, and we'll get to why in a second. It's because these things are treated equally in the media, and journalists like you and Eric and, and others understand that journalists should be neutral as to the facts and pro-democracy. You are not being neutral as to the fact facts if you give equal time unchallenged to somebody who's anti-vaccine for COVID. I agree. I mean, some there aren't two sides to every issue. Sometimes there's only one side. Sometimes there are 15 sides. But the, the issues that are, are, are binary are very, very rare, uh, yeah. especially as, as, you know, as life and society and everything gets more complex. Uh, and, you know, if I see a guy, and this is my own standard, if I see a guy walking down the street with a duck on his head, I see it myself. Mm -hmm. I can write that. Okay. I don't have to get somebody else to tell me that they saw a guy walking down the street with a duck on his head. And I sure as hell don't need to see, have a guy say he saw a, a you know, a, a duck walking down the street with a guy on his ass. I mean, I can, I can write what I observe and I can interpret what I observe through the, well, I'll say skills, although, I, you know, I, it sounds like very braggadocious. I can interpret what I see through the skills I've developed over 40 years in this business. I think that makes me a reliable witness. I don't think I need anyone else to validate me. And I certainly don't need to hear the other side of the argument. Right. 
I don't need to hear the other side of the argument that the climate crisis is not a crisis. That's just stupid. And it's getting people killed. You know, I don't need to hear the other side of the argument that, you know, people who broke in and, and desecrated the United States Capitol had a point. No, they didn't. They didn't have a point. There's no point out there that was worth doing what they did. Or the, if they did have a point, um, they're treasonous and should be punished accordingly, or traitors. Well, I agree. I mean, I mean, definition. But the point is, there's no, there's no, there's no reason to believe there's a binary debate right. on that. Exactly. There's, there's side A and side B. Right. No, there's side A and criminals. Yeah, and quite honestly, uh, the number of things about which there can be rational argument between two sides, it's shrinking because one party, the Republican Party, has become a party free of policy. So, for example, I don't think it's arguable whether sex education should be taught in schools. Of course it should. What you can potentially argue about is when, right? Right. Um, but That's fair. They, they, they don't even bother <laughs> With that, they simply focus on whatever is going to keep their base as heated up and angry as possible. Yeah. And given the fact, it seems like a, a, in some ways, a weird strategy. Given the fact that you know the Republican electorate is shrinking, all things being equal. Well, well, they're you know if they you know so, you know we get we get a few more like horse pace enthusiasts and they'll shrink even faster. Yeah, but uh, no, I th I think and I I can't remember who wrote this, but it was I thought it was a brilliant insight. And the first campaign I ever covered, and this was back in the Boston Phoenix, was the Republican campaign in 1980. I covered the primaries with Bush and Reagan with Daddy Bush and Reagan and John Anderson, and then I covered the Reagan campaign. Uh, and they, you know, they gave me all kinds of access because they really wanted the Phoenix demographic. They really wanted, you know, the, the young readers we had. So I got, you know, I got my phone calls returned. It was a terrific experience. But at that time, they got elected on the theory of supply side economics. If you cut taxes, you'll raise revenues. This is stupid. This is, is, is self-evidently stupid. Yeah. If you cut your the, the revenue coming in, you will not make more revenue. That isn't going to happen. Every economist in the world believed that wasn't going to happen. But that was, to me anyway, the very first time the Republican Party married itself to a fact-free belief. And every and it once they did that, it became very easy. To, to, to maintain fact-free beliefs in so much other stuff. Uh, in, in, in whatever the, you know, the, when they, they also simultaneously, by the way, married themselves to the, uh, the politicized evangelical church. Yes. Which brought a whole, you know, new level of irrationality into the mix. And they just became, because they started winning elections with it, yeah. they just became acclimated to it to the point now where, you know, as I say in the blog a lot, they've contracted this prion disease. Mm -hmm. They've eaten so much of the monkey brains that they're, you know, they're, they're, they've, got a, they've got this terrible brain disease that's eating away their higher functions. They all know that 
you know, critical race theories and taught in third grade. Everybody knows that. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz didn't breeze through Harvard on a football scholarship. He got in there because of his brains. He knows that. Uh, Sorry, that's a know. weird image. <laughs> Ted Cruz well, yeah, I understand. Football. But, you know, T Ted Cruz in any in any analogy is just it just kind of throws off the, the balance of nature. Uh, but. You know, they, they have believed. In. So much that isn't true for so very long that now they'll believe anything. We'll build a wall and Mexico will pay for it. I mean, I did. How many people actually believe that? I think more than we think, mm -hmm. but not as many as we think. Well, among elected Republicans, probably a number close to zero. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. And among the people running on the idea that we'll build a wall and Mexico will pay for it, none of them believe that that was going to happen. No. And, and it's... The fact that they get away with saying these things, even after clearly the wall wasn't even built, Mexico was never going to pay for it. They're going to keep saying it. You know, uh, people blame Biden for spending money on Ukraine as opposed to the wall or the southern border, whatever. I, I mean, there, there's yeah. no integrity there, but because they get treated by many in the media as if, eh, you know, they have a point, <laughs> the Democrats have a point. And, yeah. you know, as well as anybody, it took the New York Times three years to call lies lies. Um, so there is no incentive to stop. Um, there is no incentive to try to uh, cure themselves of the prion disease. And which is why we have two seditionist senators on the Judiciary Committee saying the most outrageous, despicable things uh, about now, thankfully, Supreme Justice. Court Justice Jackson. Um, and there's no pushback. I, I, no, thought I think I think confronted. I think the, the 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 people who cover politics every day, the elite political media, are being confronted with the fact that we uh, that we only allow our because of our system, you know, the good grace of the founders, we only allow ourselves two political parties in this country. Yeah, one of our political parties is out of its mind. Yes, has completely gone insane, top to bottom, every level, uh, you know, from school boards to the Senate of the United States to the White House. That party has lost its mind. It is a danger to the entire system. Yeah. That's unthinkable and therefore unsayable. Even though anybody with a minimum of perception understands that. You know, that, yeah. that, that you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene does not belong in the House of Representatives. Marsha Blackburn certainly does not belong in the United States Senate. They have nothing to offer, but there they are because they were allowed to come up through the infrastructure of a party that's lost its mind. And if you think like things are, things are bad now, wait till some of these state legislatures get, legislators get ambitious, who are passing the voter suppression laws and the don't say gay laws and the, the complete anti-abortion laws. Wait till they start getting ambitious because that's the farm team. Yep. That's the next generation of House Republicans. That's right. Uh, and 
God help us, because there's nobody in that party willing or able to correct, to, to change the course. I, I, I came to that revelation uh, during, oddly enough, during the whole dust up over Terry Shavo. Oh, absolutely. When the polls were just, just incredibly against the position taken by the Republican Party. Charlie, can you just remind people, because it was quite yeah, a while was, ago, but it was, yeah, she was, a, she was, was a, a woman point. in a, in a vegetative, a vegetative state in a hospice in uh, Florida. And who was governor? And, uh, Jeb Bush. Thank you very much. And of course, uh, George W. was president. And her husband, who had power of attorney, I'm doing this from memory now, wanted to discontinue uh, life support. There was her absolutely parents, no hope of recovery, by the way. Absolutely None. not. Her brain, had her brain had atrophied almost to invisibility. Exactly. As we found out later during the autopsy. But her parents didn't want to. So what started out as this incredibly ugly but understandable family feud, you know, and God knows there are probably, you know, 20 to 50 of them going on right now at hospices all over the country, turned into this political slanging match in which federal judges were having their lives threatened and elementary schools down the block from the hospice were getting bomb threats. The husband had a $17,000 bounty placed on his head by some nut in North Carolina. Uh, people tried to sneak in to the hospice to give her water, even though she would have drowned. And perhaps maddest of all, the priest came in to give her last rites. A priest who is like the official priest of this hospice came in. The family, the parents brought in another priest and the two priests almost had a fist fight in the lobby of the hospice. And the person who, a wonderful woman named Annie Santa Maria, who was the patient, like not patient advocate, but you know, the kind of the patient ombudsman at this hospice, couldn't stop the fight between the two priests because she was getting in the mail a congressional subpoena for Terry Chavo to come to Washington to testify. This got... And and I I ta I've talked to to Democratic members of Congress who were there at the time. Uh, Barney Frank was one of them actually, and they told me, "Look, we went to the the you know the 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 Republicans pushing this, and we said, stop! You're killing yourself. You're going right over the cliff with this issue.'" And they didn't stop. Right. And it did cost them in in the 2006 midterms. Now they lost everything in the in the 2006 midterms. It wasn't permanent, God knows, but it did happen. And at that point, I realized that the irrationality had gotten to the point where once one of those things starts, they can't stop themselves anymore. And your uncle's campaign was, I think, exhibit A in the last five years of that same thing. Mm -hmm. Once it got rolling, there was nobody in the party strong enough or willing enough to throw the brakes. Right. Yeah, it was it was a test case in in, in two ways. One, uh, to see how much uh, they could get the government to interfere in people's lives, which, by the way, they're not supposed to believe in because they're allegedly small government. Small government conservatives. Yep. And also um, attacking science because they there were medical doctors making these um, very difficult but 
accurate assessments of this woman. And I don't remember his name, but the senator who was also a medical doctor, like looked at her. Oh, that was Bill Frist from Tennessee. Frist. He was the majority leader. That's right. And diagnosed this woman, you know, via Zoom or something. Yeah, and, and, and Sean Hannity had some crazy ass doctor who'd who'd seen her for five minutes named Hammersfarrow or something, you know, on TV. I mean, yeah. the people, I went there to, I did a chapter in Indian America about the hospice. That's how I knew I met Annie and all these other folks. This was after everything had died down. And of all the people who were there, uh, the people in the hospice hated Sean Hannity more than anybody else because he was the one who was accusing them of killing her. And you had, I mean, you and I both know, nobody does God's work more than hospice workers. Absolutely. I mean, it's just absolutely, you know, I mean, my father died of Alzheimer's. I mean, I, I just, it's a thankless job yep. because it never comes to a good end. Never. And people who go back there day after day after day are automatically going to heaven. And these people would be, you know, we're talking about orderlies and cooks and, you know, recreation directors and nice old lady volunteers. They pull into the parking lot every day and 30, you know, 1,500 people across the street would scream at them that they were Nazis. Sounds that was familiar. just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was awful. It was just, I mean, apparently it was the worst experience of, of a lot of people's lives. People people were followed to their homes, uh, you know, with cars without their you know, in the middle of the night in Florida and back roads with no, the people following them, not having their headlights on. I mean, it was very, very tough. And it was encouraged by people in elected office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, and I think and that was the that was the time I wasn't doing the blog at the time, but that was at the time I realized that that, that the Republican Party had no air brakes anymore. Mm-hmm. That once they got rolling on something like this, if they thought there was a political advantage to it, they could not stop themselves. Yeah, and uh, that's undoubtedly um, when white evangelicals went all in on the Republican Party. And as we've seen time after time after time, the Republican Party, they don't create the monster necessarily, but they they um, wrangle the monster uh, thinking they can control it and use it to increase their power. And then the monster takes over. Um, so, you know, we saw that with the Tea Party and it reached its, well, I don't know, Nader or uh, Zenith. peak <laughs> Zenith yeah. uh, under the Trump administration. Yeah, I, you know, and, and I, a lot, I mean, there are people, uh, I think, for example, when you, I mean, talking about, you know, being out of control of the monster, it's obvious to me now that Chief Justice John Roberts has lost control of his conservative majority. Absolutely. Uh, he doesn't have the votes to be, I mean, even if he wanted to be moderate, and I think there are only two issues he really cares about. One of them is destroying voting rights, mm-hmm. and the other one is corporate uh you know, corporate personhood. I think those those two things are are his north stars. He's never he's never going to to make to 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 agree with a decision that runs contrary to those two things. Exactly. Everything else, I think he's willing to listen. Mm-hmm. But I think right now he's not driving the train. No. Alito and Clarence Thomas are driving the train. Uh, you saw that just last week in the the Clean Air Act uh, shadow docket decision, where they reinstated the Trump administration Clean Air rule on the shadow docket. 
and Roberts dissented. Yeah. He doesn't have the votes. Mitch McConnell doesn't have the votes to be a moderate, even if he wanted to be. And he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to be. Kevin McCarthy can't be Speaker of the House without the crazy people. And he never will be anyway. I don't think he's going to be anyway. Exactly. It's going to be somebody like Jim Jordan, but it's going to be Jordan or Bobert or, or, you know, Donald Trump. I mean, that's that's right. People talking, you know, because I, you know, for those of you who don't know, you do not need to be a member of the House of Representatives in order to be Speaker of the House. So, one one of the many, many, many reasons. (laughs) Democrats need to keep their majority in the House is because uh, it has been floated that if Republicans gain control, one of the things they'll do other than impeach Joe Biden every day is uh, make Donald Speaker of the House. Yeah, that, uh, you know, it's like it's like, you you know, as all of us Catholics know, you don't have to be a priest to be pope. Any Catholic can be pope. That's right. Uh, That's how we wound up with all those Medici's. But uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's even if there are even if there are cooler heads in the Republican Party, and I'm not entirely, and certainly not in the Congress, I'm not entirely sure there are. By the way, uh, they have no power. Right. Liz Cheney has no power. Adam Kinzinger has no power. He's a nice guy. I'm glad he's on the on the side of the angels in regards to uh, January sixth. Neither one of them, by the way, voted to uh, break up the Voter Suppression Acts. Nope. They both voted against the voting rights bills. Yep. So, you know, they, you know, they, they're not giving up all the articles. No, they're right on one thing, basically. Yeah. It's an important yeah, exactly. thing. But even, but even if they were, they have no power. Right. Liz Cheney's not going to be there next January. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I'm she's not gonna, entirely sure. She's gonna simply be backhammer from Wyoming. Simply be, though, because it's Wyoming, it's Cheney territory. It may not matter, and you know. But I honestly, I think if she does lose, that is a sign of the end times. <laughs> <laughs> because a Cheney losing in Wyoming Cheney is Cheney is not enough. Uh, no. Kinsinger, I guess, has been redistricted into a race he doesn't want to make, which I kind of kind of disappoints me actually. And and recently. <laughs> And one of the other uh, members of the House uh, who voted for impeachment, he's not running again. Yeah, I see. I think these people, if they're defending the republic, should run for re-election. I I think Kinsinger should run for re-election. I agree with you. I mean, what do you care if you lose? You know, people expect you to lose anyway. But it's it's sort of like, why did four senators, four Republican senators who are retiring, first of all, and secondly, who know that uh, Justice Jackson's elevation is historic. Also, she's eminently qualified, more qualified than anybody else in the Supreme Court right now. And um, it doesn't change the composition yeah. of the court at all. And I'm glad you said that because I've been watching those four guys for a year now, ever since they've all, they all decided they weren't going to run for election. What do they care? What does Tom Tillis care what the Trump people think of him? I mean, is he really afraid that, you know, they're going to show up at his house one night with a, you know, a carload of dynamite? I mean, they can do nothing to him. He's not running again. I think it's not I'm getting sure on the gonna, Fox News board or something. Yeah, I mean, he's, I mean, well, I mean, maybe, but I'm sure there's a, you know, a right wing think tank sinecure. He can or find CBS. a place. Yeah, or, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, Pat Toomey's another one. Yep. I mean, we have to lose. Vote for her, you know. 
vote to impeach the guy. I mean, why, what, what do you have to lose? What can he do to you? He's already lost the presidency. You're not running again anyway. Right. Uh, go into your retirement with a clear conscience. Be able to, you know, go to your vacation home and sleep at night. It suggests they have a conscience, though, and that's the problem. I don't think, and and it, it, it this fascinates me. And I wonder if it's a function of um, having gone with the flow and not stood up for things all along, or what. But it is extraordinary. A hundred percent, well, ninety nine percent of elected Republicans in Congress are stand for nothing, are perfectly willing to destroy American democracy so the Republicans stay in power. It's 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 insane. They're willing yeah, to I, put up the fascism put up with the fascism of the the Greens and the Jordans and the Gateses. Why is he not in prison? They're, they're perfectly willing, you know, they draw the line at somebody talking about cocaine fueled sex orgies, but you know, fascism is cool. How, I draw how the line. With you. I draw the line with, you know, even imagining that, but yeah, uh, sorry, I shouldn't have even mentioned that, but <laughs> the image of, you know, Chuck Grassley in the phone. <laughs> okay. Not, not something family that. friendly. It's actually not a family. Oh, I'm friend. sorry. It's not. Fuck it. It's totally right out there. Kids, <laughs> kids stop watching. You should be watching. Um, but it, these are people who, and I think this is one of the, the biggest problems we're facing right now because the Democratic Party is suffering from the same kind of paralysis or inability to see what's happening right in front of them as the media. They see these Republicans, particularly in the Senate, maybe only in the Senate, as their colleagues, people who 10, 20 years ago, they could make deals with and go out and have drinks with. And it's making it impossible for them to see the reality on the ground, which is that this is a party of fascists and every single one of them, a hundred percent of Republicans vote against everything. Good. Right. Uh, you know, I, 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 I admire the fact that they rammed through this nomination yeah. that they just didn't give a damn. Yeah. You know, you know, Oh, you know, Mitch McConnell talking about politicizing the process, please stop. Yeah, you're embarrassing yourself. Uh, you know, and they, you know, they they managed to get half the infrastructure bill through. Uh, you know why they, you know why they're, why the president is shy about really doing something on student loans. I don't know. I can't figure that out at all. Uh, you know, because that that's a winner in the fall, even if he were to forgive fifty thousand dollars of every student loan, mm -hmm. which I think is Elizabeth Warren's uh, fallback proposal now. he I mean, that's, a mil that's, I don't know how many million votes. I mean, right now, young votes. right now, 37% of the electorate think we're losing jobs and we have 3.6% unemployment. That's crazy. These people know that the neighbors who used to be not going, who didn't used to have a job, have a job now. I mean, they're talking to their friends, you know, over, you know, croissants Sunday after church and, you know, neighbor Ralph has a job again. So they know that, the, you know, that, that we're gaining jobs, not losing jobs, but ask, you know, have a pollster call them and they'd rather believe in the, you know, the haunted kingdom that they're being sold every night on TV from seven to 11 and, you know, every day on their radio stations. I'd. But that kind of I, brings us a full circle because Eric's last post was about that very issue. 
Mm-hmm. Why can't the media seem to um, fairly represent the accomplishments, the incredible accomplishments of this administration? And he went through um, some of the headlines that are all negative, all negative headlines about the economy, about job growth, none yep. of which reflect reality. And he said, you know, in order to get uh, to a positive story, you have to scroll down through 87 other headlines. That was the Washington Post, yeah. 80, 87 different things to get to a, a hey, we got 3.6 unemployment, you know, yeah. percent on, on, on employment. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I know that we've raised a generation of political reporters uh, whose formative experience in their political lives, even if they were only teenagers at the time, was the Clinton impeachment, which was a kabuki show. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a fake, basically. I mean, it yeah. was, it, you know, it, it was never going. I mean, it, it just wasn't going to happen, and everybody knew it. And Whitewater was a hoax, and you know that's been, you know, the, the Clinton. Anyway, I don't want to get back into that, but their formative experience was being wrapped up in a scandal about nothing really. Right. And their formative experience was growing up in a political climate and a political ecosystem in which labor had no power. So that, you know, their economic views are, are colored by that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're raised, you know, they came up in a in a in a you know an atmosphere in which inflation was the ultimate boogeyman. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Krugman beats the, beats his tin drum on this relentlessly mm-hmm. that inflation is not the boogeyman. And by the way, you know, we didn't have it for a long time, yeah. and even if we have it now, it's a it's a it's a relic of the pandemic, and things will calm down. Right. Uh, you know, they were raised in on you know on the ruins of the Roosevelt coalition uh, the older ones you know the first president they remember is Ronald Reagan right. the first political earthquake they remember is Newt Gingrich taking over the house of representatives in 1994 uh this is the the political ecosystem they were raised in and history to a lot of these people is whatever came over their blackberry 20 minutes ago <laughs> You know, they don't know they are or they haven't informed themselves uh, about the transformation the Republican Party undertook quite deliberately in the mid 1960s to early 1970s, where they became the party of the remnants of American apartheid and then became the party of theocracy. Yeah. And now have become the party of, you know, incipient fascism. Mm-hmm. That's a straight line. OK, yes. if you're if you're at all aware and have read anything, you know what a straight line that is. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we've lost, we've lost a generation of political reporters, number one, who didn't come out of 
the elite universities. In fact, some of them, you know, some of the early ones that, that I knew, the older guys that I knew didn't come out of university at all. They came out of, you know, the University of World War II, basically. Uh, and we're talking about, you know, a generation of political reporters, those, that generation of political reporters who all had jobs. I mean, they all, you know, they didn't go to Harvard and then, you know, the Kennedy School and then to a, a Senate staff and then to the congressional staff of the, of the Washington Post or Politico. You know, they've been raised in this, this, this history-free ecosystem, you know, this history-free bubble. Uh, and they don't, history doesn't sing to them the way it does mm -hmm. to somebody my age or, or older. You know, it, they, you know, they don't, they don't hear the rhyme to use Mark Twain's phrase. And I think, you know, you're dealing at that point with the kind of detachment that makes anything plausible. If you don't see that straight line we talked about, then sure, it's a, you know, look, it's a, it's, it, look, it's, it's an argument that won, therefore it's got some validity to it. No, no. <laughs> it has no validity to it. No, and it's, it's a line that the Republicans are doing their level best to erase. Uh, in, in, in we're at war with history now. There's yes. absolutely no doubt about it. And there's a reason for it. Of course there is. It's to roll back everything, every progressive accomplishment, at least going back to the civil rights movement and possibly going back to the beginning of the last century. I would say 1860. <laughs> but that's I don't think gonna, I don't think they're going to reinstate slavery. Although they might find a way to do it. I think I'm at 1865. Sorry, they're really good at that. I mean, you I know, think we're going back to the end of Reconstruction is what they yeah. want. It, it is not an accident that in the last two weeks, one senator Blunt basically said that uh, um, mixed race marriages <laughs> should be on the table. Should be on the table, right? Violation of, violation of states' rights. And Marsha Blackburn said essentially the same thing about birth control. About Griswold, yeah. That and Griswold's not just birth control. Griswold's the right to privacy. Griswold exactly. is yes. that's the holy grail because then right. you can wiretap anybody you want. You can break into anybody's house if that right doesn't exist. And it's not stated, you know, specifically in the Constitution, then you've got all you need. Yes. If, if, that, if that right loses its, its legitimacy. So, so th there are so many reasons that the Republicans have to lose in November. So many. And yet it isn't getting across. And because I don't want to leave with um, people watching so curling themselves on, yeah jumping off of buildings and stuff um what do you if you could give us a couple of things that you think can can be the most effective and have the most impact whether it's um figuring out ways to get democratic politicians to pay attention to the emergency whether it's ways to get individual people um to have faith and, and be motivated uh, because honestly, like if we say, well, it's over now, we're never going to win. No, nobody's going to be motivated. No, we, no, no, that's, that, that's not a, that's not an it option. It's not now. an option. We have eight Designation months. Is not an option. Uh, that's a lot of time. It's a, it's not a lot of time in political time, but it is a lot of time in re real time. We have eight yeah. months. So what are, what are the best ways for us to spend those eight months? Oh, I'm obviously organizing, organizing at every level of government. And, and understand 
that you're operating at a disadvantage. The voter suppression laws are going to be there. Okay. There's nothing they can do about it before November. Uh, because number one, you've lost your advantage on the Supreme Court. They're perfectly content to let anything stand yep. at this point. Uh, or reverse things that were good. Uh, or, or, yeah, or exactly. Or make things harder. Yep. Uh, I think if the Dobbs case breaks wrong uh, in June or July or whenever the decision comes down, if Roe v. Wade is, is either de facto or de jure overruled, Oh, it will be that that could be that could be you know a very short fuse that could that could that could screw up the you know alleged cakewalk the republicans have in the midterms because that i mean that will people will understand i think a lot of people will understand that rights you win aren't permanent i mean black people have known this for 20 years exactly you know that the achievement of the civil rights movement were not permanent, that there were forces working to roll them back almost from the time they were passed. Right. Uh, you know, you get a whole millions of white suburban women realizing that, and who knows what can happen. Yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, I think organizing at the, at the state and local level and basically confront the threat without being afraid of it. Understand what's going on. Understand the magnitude of the danger without being afraid of it. We have come through worse periods in our history before. We're not shooting at each other yet. Right. You know, we're not, you know, we're not marching armies through Virginia yet. It's, right. it's possible for, for us to come back from the brink. And, and this is not something that requires nuance. I, I had a conversation the other night in which David Rothkopf uh, basically said that, you know, the Democrats, the Republicans say something really blunt, even if it's a lie. And the Republicans, uh, sorry, the Democrats respond with a 30 page white paper. <laughs> we we don't need nuance. It's really this simple. In November, yeah. you're voting for democracy or you're not. Or you're not. Exactly. Uh, and I do, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I wish there was a, democratic slash liberal media ecosystem to match the one on the right, but there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and Stephanie and everybody, you know, do yeoman, your person's work, but it's just not there. Uh, <clears throat> and it's going to have to be done. It's going to have to be done at the state level on the ground. Yeah. Uh, and the national party's got to understand that the money has got to understand that. Uh, I hate the fact that we have to play by the same rules, you know, that they do vis-a-vis -vis Citizens United, but we do. Yeah, we do. There's no point unilaterally disarming. Absolutely at this point. not. Uh, it's a horrible decision. It has no basis in the Constitution. And it was, you know, it was delivered into the hands of David Bossie, who was a dirty tricks artist going back to Clinton. Yeah. But that's not here. And later went to work for uh, Donald's, you know, administration. Mm -hmm. But, <coughs> excuse me, uh, <coughs> I'm going to need a little of this. I hope that's but beer. It's a long, no, it's not. It's diet oh, pepsi. Oh, well. uh, it's it's going to be a long haul yeah. because the, a lot of these interests are entrenched and 
once you've fought your way all the way through the culture war issues and the nonsense issues and the space alien issues and everything that doesn't make sense to the logical mind, you've still got the corporate and you still got the money power. Yep. And that's still back there. And they really don't care if the country goes to hell as long as they got theirs. Right. They'll find a way to survive. I mean, fasc- fascism and corporations, you know, the Krupps and IG Farben did pretty well mm-hmm. uh, in, in, you know, in, 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 from 1939 to 1945. Uh, and that's the real power because that's where the money is. Right. And we need, I think, Amy Klobuchar in her crusade for antitrust legislation. I think that absolutely should be a priority. We need to break the money power. Yes. We break the money power. We break the the power of all the stuff that it feeds. You know, the, you know, citizens against critical race theory in our schools, interest, you know, right. concerned parents. They don't survive without the Coke money right. or without the, you know, the Bradley Foundation or the Olin Foundation. Right. I mean, that's exactly that's the fuel. That's the furnace. Yeah. That's the power. And that's got to be broken. Uh, and if you can't break it through the courts, which apparently you can't now, you have to do it some other way. You either have to elect state legislatures who will do it on their own. And, you know, that'll get overturned by you know the Supreme Court once they get when it gets there. But for a time, at least they won't be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got to break up the monopoly economy in this country and that you can do yes uh but for the for the rest of us i agree focus something democrats have never been good at doing focus on local elections school boards uh attorneys state attorneys general state secretaries Secretaries of state state. secretary right because that's i mean there there are republicans out there running there are crazy there are crazy people they're, running right now. Their platform is we will overturn the results of an election if a Democrat wins, even if right. it's legitimate. So exactly. We will we will decertify the last election. Yeah. As though that'll, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. So I as I said, we have time. Um, we need to we really need to get people to stop feeling hopeless and um well, that, I mean, that, that's not an option that's not an option uh that's why i get up every morning exactly because because otherwise you know i i don't want to believe i'm shouting down a well no we're not listen uh, i say this all the time and it's some it doesn't feel true a lot of the times but it is true there are more of us than there are of them and we what we're fighting for is what is worth fighting for yeah and and on some issues there are a lot more of us yeah. than there are. That's right. Uh, on, you know, pro-choice, there are a lot more of us Absolutely. than there are of them. Yeah. So maybe they'll overplay their hand. I, I hate having it come down to that uh, because a lot of people will suffer in the meantime. But um, if that's what it takes, then we need to capitalize on that. Then it, then it becomes the obligation of the other political party to continually explain to people why they're suffering. That's right. They're not suffering because of, of those of us who wanted to keep the status quo. That's right. They're suffering because of the extremists and the other party. Right. There are no moderate Republicans. They do not exist anymore. And there are no conservative anymore. Republicans either. Well, yeah, I mean, we're moving in that direction. I mean, I think there probably are conservative Republicans. But in the House? Mm-hmm. 
Well, no, not in the House. No, I mean elected Republicans. I don't the mean House is, in, you know, the House. I don't mean the, in general. Is, that's um, the reptile farm. I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> the Republican caucus in the House belongs in, in a room with very soft walls. Uh, it just is to me. I sat through, believe me, I sat through the impeachment, you know, the, the Judiciary Committee, you know, impeachment hearings. I sat through the confirmation hearings for people like Ryan Zinke and Betsy DeVos. Uh, that was in the Senate, obviously. But in the House, that that's out of control. I mean, that's... And as far as uh, I'm concerned, that should be enough incentive. But... Um, Charlie, I, I literally could keep you here all night, but I you have to eat dinner. I do have to eat my overcooked din- uh, dinner, yes. Um, but, again, uh, though, I... Appreciate we'll do it anytime. I, li- I enjoyed this a great day. I'm so grateful to, to you for your work, um, for your kind words about our friend, Eric Bollert, whom we will miss terribly. Hey, it's up, it's up to us to carry on. Absolutely. You know, that's, you know, if, if we want to honor his legacy, then we need yeah. to pick up his torch and um, yeah. try our best to um, fill that unfillable void that he left. So Charlie, thank you so much. Thanks, and Eric. we will definitely do this again. Okay. See you later. You too. Stay safe. Okay, um, tonight I'm just going to uh, touch on a couple of issues uh, and just riff on them briefly, Um, and I also have an announcement. First of all, it is with just immense joy that I can say uh, we have a new Supreme Court justice, and her name is Ketanji Brown-Jackson. there is, it's impossible to put into words how meaningful uh, this this is. Even though it doesn't change the composition of the court, it certainly changes the tenor of the court. It changes the future of the court in a way that um, should make all of us proud and um, happy, honestly. Um, all of that having been said, because I don't want to take away from the extraordinary achievements and brilliance of Justice Jackson, uh, we can never, ever forget the despicable behavior of the Republicans on the Judiciary Committee. Again, two of whom are active seditionists. They were not just monumentally disrespectful to a woman who deserves nothing but respect, They were openly racist. Uh, A few days ago, Tom Cotton, who is arrogant and stupid enough to think that someday he's going to be president, claimed that Judge, now Justice Jackson, if she had been a lawyer at the Nuremberg trials, would have been defending Nazis. This is a person who does not belong in polite company, uh, let alone the American Senate. So every single Republican on the Judiciary Committee disgraced him or herself. And if they are in states where there's any hope at all of getting rid of them, we need to make sure that happens. And Cruz and Hawley should be tried for their crimes against this country. Um, I also hear that Elon Musk bought a... uh, 9.2% share of Twitter, which gives them a controlling interest, which means we're all screwed. (laughs) 
Um, I, I, honestly, I don't, I don't quite know what uh, his plans are, although apparently he has big plans. Um, I don't know if he would allow people who um, have been banned for life, like, I don't know, Donald, uh, if he's going to let them back. Um, but what I do know is that this is one of the many, many, many reasons that individuals should never be allowed to accumulate the kind of wealth Elon Musk has. It's dangerous. He should be paying enormous percentages of tax on his millions of dollars, billions of dollars, forgive me, um, most of which he has accrued thanks in large part due to um, help from the federal government. So his role at Twitter aside, and we're just going to see how that plays out. If, if nothing else, this just um, increases the urgency of um, changing the system so that individuals and corporations cannot acquire that kind of obscene wealth. Uh, finally, uh, Florida, don't say gay bill passed. Um, It's a, it's obscene <laughs> that that this is this is happening in America in 2022. What's even worse is that the governor who allowed this to happen, who approved of this, has a very good shot of being the Republican nominee for president, if not in 2024, then perhaps in 2028. So um, we need to keep an eye not just on Florida and how that plays out, because again, this is dangerous. This is detrimental to LGBTQ youth um, or anybody, honestly, uh, whether you're parents of a child um, or a, a gay couple, it is, it is demoralizing, but it is dangerous as well. Uh, it, sets people up for being bullied. It creates situations in which um, people are more likely to become depressed and suicidal. And it's just going to spread throughout the country since it passed so easily in Florida, just as uh, these anti-choice bills uh, are starting to pass in states other than Texas. So all of that we need to pay attention to. And it should be real incentive for us to stay engaged and to keep fighting because we do not want the future of this country to be written by people like Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Ron DeSantis, and Donald. As for the announcement, um, I, I just launched a political action committee called the Democracy Defense Fund. Uh, if you want to check out what it's all about, go to democracydefensefund.com. Uh, our mission is threefold. It's to educate people about uh, voter suppression and voter subversion and to make sure Democrats hold the House and Senate and preferably inc increase their majorities in those two bodies and, and stay laser focused on local and state level elections especially those that will have electoral uh, impact and those that are most flippable. So again, please check it out, democracydefensefund.com. Um, we'd love to have you join and I'll, I'll keep talking about it here and the work we're doing. Uh, so I, I would really appreciate it if, uh, 
you go to the website and see where we're up to. Okay, time for q and I'm going to make it quick tonight. Um, first up, from Robert in Canada, it's important to compare Vladimir Putin and his approach to governing with Donald Trump. They're both, in my opinion, dictators and should be portrayed as such. And the American people should have to decide whether they want a dictator or they want democracy. Why do we not hear more of this from candidates or the president? It's a really good question, and I agree with you. I mean, I obviously, Donald isn't a dictator. He's not in power right now. But that certainly is an ambition of his. And... Um, if if he were uh, to regain power, the Republican Party would be more than happy to help that happen. Um, so I, I don't know why people pull their punches. Um, I, I've said many times that we should not be asking the question, is Donald going to run? We should be asking the question, why should he be allowed to? Because que- framing questions properly helps people understand what's at stake. If you say, will he run? You're normalizing him and ignoring the fact that he's a criminal who betrayed his country. So um, we do need to hear more straightforward language like that. Uh, From Kristen in Carla, Pennsylvania, how much of an impact on voter turnout do you think all of the voter suppression laws being passed by Republicans will have? You know, that remains to be seen, certainly. um, But we need to um, prepare for the worst, uh, by which I mean we need to assume that a lot of these voter suppression bills will become law and will affect uh, turnout and the ability of a lot of people to vote uh, in the 2022 midterms. We have to uh, realize that we now have a rogue Supreme Court that is willing to allow extreme gerrymandering as long as it's done by Republicans. Uh, And we have to uh, keep in mind what's happening in terms of voter subversion, um, which is why we need to uh, be laser focused on um, races at the state level uh, in which uh, elections are run. Uh, So, you know, states, secretary of states, attorneys general, depending on the state, um, we need to make sure that people in those positions are people who are uh, dedicated to holding free and fair elections and abiding by the results. The bottom line though, is we need, and I I feel like we say this every single time, but it's increasingly true. We need to vote in such numbers that um, they just can't stop us. It's, it's that simple. Um, Okay. So that's it for tonight. If you have any questions, um, just email me, at mary at politicon.com. Um, and I will be more than happy to get to your questions if if I have the opportunity. I love hearing from you guys and, and knowing what you're thinking. Uh, and in the meantime, um, I encourage you to go check out Eric Bullard's press run. Uh, his work is still relevant. Um, I've heard that... Um, Family and friends are going to keep his project going, uh, which is really good to hear. I'm not in quite. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work um, because his work is just so extraordinary. But um, I think it's it's a necessary. Uh, it's necessary to make the attempt. So uh, it's. I believe it's just pressrun.com, uh, or you could just go to Substack.com and uh, look for Press Run. 
So thank you so much. Uh, you know, it's it's been a tough week, although there have been some bright spots. Uh, but I was I was so grateful to Charlie Pierce for joining me, so we could talk about uh, the extraordinary man who was Eric Bollert. Um, if you uh, go to youtube.com slash Politicon, you can follow Poli- the Politicon YouTube channel. That's really important. Uh, and also there is a, um, a bell that you can click on the YouTube page. I always do the wrong side. There we go. A bell that you can click on the YouTube page. So that way uh, you will get every single new episode as it drops. So um, please join us. Remember, there's a new ep- uh, there's a new weekly episode on Tuesdays called Strategy Sessions. Same time, seven o'clock p.m. Eastern, four o'clock Pacific. Um, so for now, we've got two shows a week: Tuesdays, Thursdays. That's YouTube.com/slash/Politicon, uh, and it is always great to have you here. Don't forget, you can also listen to the podcast form of the show. So just go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Um, Thank you again for being here. I so appreciate it. And uh, we will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend and stay safe.